Socks on 35th is next. Doors open on the left. How's it going, everybody? My name is Duke Coughlin, and welcome to the Socks on 35th podcast. We are back with another exciting episode covering your Chicago Gavin Sheets. As always, I'm joined by our panelists, Jordan Lazowski and Nick Gower. Gentlemen, we are going to be joined by Gavin Sheets here fairly soon, but in the meantime, how are you doing? Feeling good. We've had some fun guests on the podcast past couple weeks. Between Estrini, Fulmer, and now Gavin Sheets. It's nice to see a minor league player's perspective, a former player's perspective, and now we get the current player's perspective. It's very cool, and I think fans are really, really going to love this one. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I was going to say the exact same thing. I was going to say, oh, we're covering our bases, like prospect, current, former, but Jordan stole it, so I'm doing all right. I'll leave it at that. Doing all right. He's doing less all right now because I I stole his intro. We'll have to switch it up. I I feel like I steal your stuff too much. (laughs) Doing all right. Last stole my shtick. I'm doing all right. (laughs) That's nice. That's that's great. It is really cool. You get every different type of perspective, you know. And I really do hope if this goes towards anything in people's minds that it just reminds you these guys are just guys being dudes. They're out there playing baseball. They're out there trying to make a career of it. At the end of the day, man, they put their pants on one leg at a time. So we have quite a bit to cover in the episode, obviously, with uh, the interview we have coming out. Before we get started, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you your podcast. Also, be sure to check out the website at SocksOn35th.com, as well as following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at SocksOn35th. So really don't have a ton. Obviously, you know, the meat and potatoes of this podcast is not Duke Coughlin, Joy Lazowski, Nick Gower. It is Gavin Sheets. So without further ado we are joined by gavin sheets all right and we are pleased to be joined by chicago white Sox first baseman outfielder bullpen catcher you know hot dog stand attendee on call the guy who really does it all gavin sheets how's it going buddy it's great to have you on the podcast it's good thanks for having me on guys yeah, no problem, man. I'm making fun a little bit. It seems like you've been the guy that's just been willing to play any position on the field. I guess just kind of jumping right in here, buddy. How did the transition from first baseman to the outfield come about? And what type of work kind of went into that change? I mean, I know you played a little bit of the outfield in the minors, but it was really good majority of seeing you at first base. So, yeah, it was a crazy transition. I mean, if you told me when I got drafted, I was going to be playing make my debut in right field, I was kind of looked at you a little funny. But it, it was just one of those things that, you know, in, in when COVID happened, um, I was left off the alternate site, and, you know, I, I started looking around at the roster, and I saw, you know, we had an MVP at first base. Vaughn was right there behind him, and, you know, I, I kind of saw my opening. I was like, hey, you know, if I can make myself be available, you know, not just at one or two spots for first base and DH, but if I can make myself available in left field, right field, first base, DH, that gives myself four ways to get into a lineup. So that's what I did. You know, I, I transformed my body a little bit that that year. You know, I was I was in constant communication. We, we kind of talked about a little bit in spring training even before COVID hit and we got shut down. But no, it was just, it was just a lot of work to get to get to the spot where I even felt like I was comfortable out there. And then obviously it was, it was a really fast transition. Um, I didn't get much time in, in spring training to play any outfield. And then you know, a couple of games here and there in AAA, and, um, but I was swinging the bat really well in AAA, and, and I proved that I could go out there and play. And, um, 
yeah, it's it's kind of how I got my way to the big leagues, and I've still stayed out there. So it's it's the way I've stayed in the big leagues. You know, it was, it was my direction, and a lot of hard work went into it to get out there. But yeah, it was definitely a, a turn that I didn't see coming in my career. But here we are. I've always been curious from a player's perspective. I think fans have their own assumptions or opinions on it. Left or right field, which one's harder to play and why? For me, I felt more comfortable in right field just because I was always on the right side of the diamond. Um, so everything was just, you know, just the way to back you up the ball. The righties going oppo right side, lefties. I mean, it was just, when I went to left field, it felt so foreign to me to be on that side of the field that I just, it, it didn't feel right. So right field always just seemed more natural, more just something that I felt more comfortable doing in a spot that obviously I wasn't comfortable being in. So that was, it was definitely right field was for me. So like with going from playing first base to the outfield, what are some changes maybe you had to do to your workout or your routine? Maybe, uh, you know, did you, did you have to run poles a little bit more? Did you have to, you know, make sure that you got your legs moving a little bit more on a day-to-day basis? Uh, what, what was that adjustment kind of like getting to the outfield? Yeah, it was, it was really, to be honest, a completely different way of training. First base is all about, you know, the farthest you go is, you know, five to 10 feet on a, on a given ball. You know, a lot of times it's just that first step, drop stepping, going forward to get the ground ball, just reading the ball off the bat and kind of making quick, sudden moves like third base does. Um, but then outfield was, you know, first step quickness, but then getting into a sprint, drop stepping, learning how to drop step, learning how to get into a sprint as fast as you can, you know, um, making reads on the ball. You know, the biggest thing for me was, was the first step read off the bat, you know, just getting used to fly balls off the bat. Um, you know, was it hit well? Was it hit shallow? Do I have to go get it? Do I have to come in? All that stuff in split seconds that, you know, guys have been doing for 24 years of their life and their baseball career where I've been, you know, am I going to come on this ground ball? Am I drop back on this ground ball? So all of a sudden it was like a completely different read. So that was the biggest thing for me What was getting used to that. You know, did the guy, you know, is it going to be back spun? Is it going to be top spun? Is it going to carry? Um, so kind of trying to learn all that as fast as I could and get used to that as as fast as I could. And then, you know, obviously Chicago win throws a whole nother thing into the mix that you can't even prepare for. So that was the biggest thing for me was just, you know, training how to get into a sprint as fast as possible, train how to, to drop step, you know, just make the quickest reads that you can make. And uh, obviously train your body to, to be able to react that way that you need to do to get the fly ball. It had to have been nice kind of having a partner in crime and Jake Berger though, with him taking reps at second base you know, the, uh, the physical specimen that is Jake Berger. And I know you guys are pretty tight when he was on the team. So at least you weren't alone in that sense where, uh, you had to learn a new position. No, yeah. He, he came right to me and he just goes, Oh my gosh. He goes, like he played second today. I said, well, no better place to learn than the big league. So let's get out there. Let's get out there and do it. So yeah, I mean, we, we definitely laughed about that together and, you know, seeing him go over to that and just kind of the anxiety that he was dealing with in the beginning with that. And just like, but it, you just got to go for it. You know, it's at the end of the day, you just, you go for it. You see an opportunity and you, you make the most of it. Obviously the reason that I went in the outfield, the reason you went to second base was, was to get our bats to lap. So you just kind of make the most of it you can and, and kind of, you know, instead of trying to push away or be afraid of it, you just embrace it. So, you know what, I'm going to find my way in the lineup and, and make the most of it. So Gavin, just zooming out a little bit here and talking more about the past. So I just, I'm just curious about your, your upbringing and how, how your childhood, especially having a father in the major leagues himself, how that kind of influenced your your career to date. And um, if you could just talk a little bit about the impact that that your dad had on you from a baseball standpoint. Yeah, he had a huge impact, obviously. I mean, it, you know, growing up, obviously I, I wasn't born when he was playing, but I was 
old enough to go to the field with him and go to fan fest with him and watch him interact with different fans. And, you know, that was really cool to me. That, that grew my love for the game, but it also made me realize, you know, how cool what he did, even though I couldn't see it was. I mean, I got to see people just, you know, go crazy when they saw him, go crazy for autographs. And I just, to me, as a, as a younger than 10 years old, I was like, man, this is the coolest thing in the world. Like this, this is just so cool to me. But it was crazy because I never got to see it. You know, I, I could see videos he'd pull up and stuff like that. But so all I knew was just the after the career and, and you know, just the way people rallied around him in Baltimore. But that was kind of nice, though, because, you know, he was always around. So he was, you know, always teaching me how to play baseball, always doing stuff. We were always, you know, we were golf or baseball or just getting outside. You know, he was always around, you know, all 12 months of the year. So that was awesome. And then our bond with baseball really grew at high school when he took over as the coach. You know, I think a lot of people, when, when he first took over, was like, oh, man, your dad's going to be the coach. Like, you guys would be putting heads all the time. And, and it was actually the complete opposite. I, I think that we both, what I loved about him was he understood how hard the game was. You know, he played at the big league level, and you just understand to get there how hard the game is. It's, it's a game of failure. It's, you know, a lot of kids that I played with, their dads just never played baseball and never understood the difficulty, how hard it is to hit a freaking baseball. I mean, it's the hardest thing in any sport, in my opinion. And so to have him be there and have him, you know, instead of just crushing me every time I was over three or four, it was like, you know, building you up. It was like, what could you have done better? Let's find some positive in that. And, and even to this day, you know, I've had my ups and downs. I've had struggles that, you know, I haven't had coming up through college or minor leagues necessarily. And, you know, to have him there and be like, Hey, you know, this is, let's find positives in this and, and let's grow from it. So even to this day, I'm still, still learning a lot from him and, um, you know, growing stronger and stronger with him. I could imagine having someone with that, exact experience to not only cares about you but also literally your father <laughs> must be exactly must be quite the help yeah yeah it's an awesome person to fall back on so then just jumping forward a little bit then we all we obviously we see the uh the wake forest jersey behind you and you put up some pretty crazy numbers in your time there and i was wondering if you could just talk a bit about your experience there and also coming at it from a draft angle like when did you know that the white Sox were interested in you and do you have like your your draft story or your memory of where you, where you were when you found out they'd be drafting you? Yeah, for sure. So Wake Forest was was probably the greatest thing that happened to my career. Um, you know, I came out of high school and and I was a good player. I wasn't a great player. So I was I was excited to go to Wake Forest because I felt like I had an opportunity to play every day, which I thought I needed as a freshman. So I went in and, and they sold me on the idea of, you know, getting to to become a program that could be top 10 in the nation. And, and obviously we're far from that when I first got there. And but they were willing to develop me. And, you know, I talked to some big schools, but I was afraid that if I got to a big school and went 0 for 3 my first game and as a freshman, that would be the last time I saw the field until until junior year. So um, I bought into the, the Wake Forest coaches and, and the culture there, and it was incredible. You know, just to start our freshman year, didn't make the ACC tournament or anything, and we were just kind of a, a low D1 team. And then by junior year, we were competing in the, in the Super Regional against Florida, who ended up winning it. So... Just the development that I had there through the three years, becoming a man, um, growing up, you know, getting in the weight room, development as a player and a person, um, I, it was it was second to none for me. I was learning how to hit for power my freshman and sophomore year, and then junior year really clicked for me. And I got a lot of credit to the coaches there and allowing to develop me, but also putting a lot of time and effort in. And so, yeah, the night we got drafted, I was actually, when I got drafted, I was playing against Florida in the Super Regional Game 3. Um, winner goes to winner goes to Omaha and um, we had just gotten knocked out but they hadn't told me during the game when I got drafted but I, I found out that I got drafted that night and got a call from my agents and, and the White Sox and 
kind of bittersweet night because we just got knocked out. My college career was over, but obviously my dreams of playing pro ball were were right in front of me. So it was a pretty incredible night. Um, and actually, I I really had no idea that until the day of that the White Sox were were on the table. I thought I was going somewhere else, and and the White Sox came up with a with a deal for Berger and I to sandwich us in the first and second round. And yeah, it was it was pretty incredible. And then met Berger. Out of a month after that, so that that's when that friendship began as well. Wake Forest too is such a cool story because you mentioned just sort of the rise while they were there, and now I mean maybe from a pitching side, but they're top notch in everything they do. They are the gold standard for what you're looking for in an ACC and even a D1 organization. It's really cool to see, and it's cool that you were there as that rise started to really occur. Yeah, and that's kind of what we were sold on. You know, we were sold on this idea of the pitching lab and all this stuff that was coming and we knew it was coming, but it hadn't been put in place yet. And the coaches just said, look, like, you know, you can go to a, a top, top school in the country right now, or you can come here and be a part of this and, and grow this thing and be the reason that we get to where we want to be. And so that, that's what sold me. I was like, I was all in on that. I was all in on, you know, the guys in my class getting, helping us get to where we want to be. And, and to see it now, they're number one in the nation and, and everything's built. Everything that we sold on that vision is there now. It's it's pretty incredible to see. And you talk about building a vision and building guys to where they want to be. You eventually got to where you wanted to be. You yeah. made your major league debut. Talk about what it's like, first of all, getting that call or having that conversation with the guys in the minors that, hey, you're going up starting tomorrow. Like, What's that conversation like? And do you remember the feeling or did you just blackout when you were there in the batter's box for the first time describe that for us too it was uh it was incredible you know you you get that late night call or actually I I was in the I was in the clubhouse still and and our manager called me in and said that you know we had a one-on-one offensive meetings and to come in whenever I was dressed and so I went in and all the coaches were in there and you know they let me know that it wasn't offensive media that I was going to play you know Chicago and play Minnesota the next day so it's it's such a crazy thing. I called my wife. I said, "Hey, we got to pack up. We got we got a flight in the morning. You know, we were doing laundry at two a.m., getting everything ready, and and you just you don't want to sleep. You don't want to do anything. Your mind's racing. You're just excitement. It's just uh, you call your family. You call everybody you can call that you know is is close to you, and um, it's just a lot of emotions. You know, it's a lot of hard work that's come into it. It's a lot of excitement, and uh, and then you start to remember, hey, I got to play a game." Like I gotta be, I, I have to play a big league game. So that starts to sit in too. So, but I just remember, I remember getting there. Obviously I knew most of the guys um, and they were all great. And I just remember Tony pulling me aside and he goes, look, have a blast. He's like, you only get one major league debut. And and at this time I'm like, my heart's racing. It was, it was almost go time. And he's like, look, just take a step back. Enjoy this moment. You only get one of these. He's like, go out, play a hundred percent, whatever happens, happens but just enjoy every second of it. And like, to me, I hadn't been around Tony a ton, but obviously a, a Hall of Fame manager is pulling you aside and just, hey, just go out and have fun. It was just like, for me, it just took everything away. I was like, all right. Like, it's just, a, it's it, we're playing baseball today. Like, I, I can do this. I've done this my whole life. And yeah, it was obviously a, a night and a day that I'll, I'll never forget. And Tony was someone who, if you look at back some of the media reports, he was very, very high on you. He was very complimentary throughout his time there. How did that relationship sort of build throughout his time there while you were um, up in the big leagues with him? Man, I, lo- I love Tony. I've got nothing but respect for him. Our relationship was really strong by the end of it. Um, he was he was a guy that expected a lot out of you. He demanded a lot. He demanded a, a, a strong work ethic, and he was hard, especially when I first came up, like, 
he was super hard on the young guys. He he demanded us to be. It was old school, you know. He wanted you to be the first one there, the last one to leave. Like he he expected that from every young guy, and expected a, a standard that you had to be held to. And and then once you gain that trust, and once he sees you know your work ethic, and and you know he kind of holds you to that high standard. And then when you meet it, it's like, okay, you're in. Like I've got your back. I, I'll I'll do whatever you like. You've passed the test, and and now I'll be your manager. And now we're gonna have a you know a good relationship. And that's what I really respected from him. I thought. I thought he had all of our players' backs, and I just, I just respected the way he went out about his business. Obviously, health got in the way, and you know his his age, and it was just kind of the way things had to end. But I, I've got nothing, nothing but respect for him. And it's cool to have someone that, like you're saying, kind of they they pulled your feet to the fire, but they got your back at the yeah, end of the day, no matter exactly. what. It's cool exactly. to come up to if someone you, like that. I'm gonna hold you to a high standard, but if you meet that, I've got, I've got your back no matter what. So that's. That's that's what I respected from us. It, we were held to a high standard. He he held himself to a high standard from us. And as you started getting yourself comfortable and started playing more of those games, I mean, you hit your first big league homer not too long after your debut. Did you have to trade anything fun to get that ball back, or did did you eventually get it back though? I got it back. I think I think some guys stepped up for me. I think Liam and and Tim Anderson stepped up for me that game. So. I think they signed a bat and a jersey or a ball or something. So I, I really appreciate those guys stepping up for me. And, yeah, that was pretty cool to, to be able to get that back. I mean, by the time I even got back in the dugout, they had it almost back. So that, that was really cool. And um, see those guys step up and, and make sure that I got that, that obviously that moment back was, was awesome. I'm sure you'll be one of the ones that they want the signatures for one day. You'll be able to pay it back <laughs> exactly. somewhere down the line. Exactly. Now, you, you also had the chance. It was a – wild first year for you I guess you can really put it. you also had the chance being from Baltimore getting to go back home in front of friends and family play against the Orioles and I'll not only just play Homer as well and you're talking about the emotions of being a big leaguer and coming up and now you hit your first home run and now you're going to Baltimore and you Homer there what was the feeling like comparing maybe some of those first ABs to the feeling you had being in front of friends and family in Baltimore it's funny. I, I I compare it to my debut um, when I got back in Baltimore. I think it's one thing to to play in front of forty thousand people that you don't know who they are versus play in front of you know twenty thousand people where you know a thousand of them. It's it was like a completely different just setting. I mean, my buddies were making T-shirts, and obviously coming back where where my love for the game started. You know, I, I just remember going to the ballpark like I said earlier with my dad, and you know he'd be hitting fungos to company sponsors for the Orioles and I'd be on the field just running around at like five six seven eight years old and so to be back there and you know obviously they have the picture when I hit the home run of my dad in the front row just going crazy and that that's that's a guy that I never saw show any emotion no matter what I did in college or, or anything so to see him show that emotion too it, it just showed how special it was for both of us I mean we just we, we loved the weekend it was a, it was an awesome weekend but but obviously the home run there that first game was was really special it's always really cool to kind of see that all come full circle. And while it wasn't the World Series, it feels like this was kind of really the moment and it was the playoff series against Houston. You know, obviously, as a lifelong White Sox fan, I can say, yeah, it didn't go probably the way we all wanted it to go. But you get to hit a playoff home run. You know, you get to hear the south side of Chicago react to something like that. If you can, if you could put that, like, that entire environment and that entire you know thing playing out for you into words what what was it like just seeing the playoff atmosphere in Chicago as you just hit a home run 
Oh man. Um, putting that whole series into words is, is, is tough because that was, um, everything you dream up, you know, it's just, you talk about your debut, you talk about hitting a home run in Baltimore and that was all incredible, you know, but there's nothing that matches playoff energy atmosphere, you know, and obviously we started in Houston and I was like, man, this is crazy. I, it was a crazy series for me personally, because I don't know if you guys remember, but we get there and, you know, day before Jose Bray was like extremely sick. Um, and it's almost the point where we think he's out of the series, maybe. So all of a sudden, you know, I'm looking at it like, Hey, I haven't played first base in two months and I'm going to be the starting first baseman when this righty is going tomorrow, when McCullers is going. And, you know, I, I think they're kind of messing with me. I'm like, nah, he's Jose Ray does not miss baseball beams. He's going to be fine. And the trainer finally comes in. He goes, Hey, if Jose Ray plays tomorrow, it will be DH. So you will be at first base. So I want you to bet some repair now. So it's like, you know, everything you have in your mind is like, okay, I'm going to be DH and Vaughn is going to be DH when the lefty goes. That's, that's the way we're going in. And all of a sudden it's like, Hey, you're starting first baseman tomorrow on your first ever playoff game in Houston. And so it was just a crazy, crazy start to this whole series. But obviously, to go down two games and not in Houston, and but we still knew we were like we we get to come back home, and and at the time I think we had the best home record in baseball, and uh, you know that that game, it, you picture everything in your mind of how you think it's going to go, how you think the crowd's going to be, what what the atmosphere is going to be, and then and then you get there and it's like this isn't even close to what I expected. This is way more. I mean, the the crowd was, you know, that Larry Garcia home run I was on first base for, and even before. You know, he hit it. I can still remember the pitching change. I think they have the video when I'm talking to Daryl Boston at first. It's like, this place is nuts. I mean, they're doing a pitching change, 2-0 count. This crowd is going absolutely crazy. And then for him to hit a home run two pitches later, it was like, I mean, I, I felt like I hit the home run when I was running around the bases. It was so crazy. So that was just, you know, Southside brings it. And it's it's what our fan base does. It's a, it's a different kind of fan base. You know, it's, it's, it's blue collar. They're all over the other team. They hold us to a high standard. So when we're not playing well, we hear it too, which I get it. I, I completely understand. It's, it's, it's the, it's the, it's, it's who we are as a, as a fan base and, and who we, we try to model ourselves as a team. And, um, so when our fan base showed up, it was, it was incredible. And all we talk about is, is how do we get back to that? How do we get that fan base back? Because, you know, we know what it, where they're capable of. And, you know, I think right now we gotta, we gotta win them back over a little bit. And, and that's, that's all our game plan because we want nothing more than have that place a blackout again, rocking like it was. And, and I'll tell you what though, too, the funny part is seeing that video of you at first base with Boston is the most candid reaction ever to something. And I think from a fan perspective, like fans will always look at you guys as these large in life characters for you to just be like, sure damn, this is awesome. Yeah. Like, that that was very, very cool to see. I think it's definitely the lasting video um, from that time, just because of how candid it was, essentially. Yeah, it was just like, I felt like it was the first time, you know, I was, I was just on first base, and there's a pitching change, so you just finally take it in. It's like, there's nothing I can do right now. There's a pitching change, I'm on first base, and I think they played jump around or something, and they showed that dude with the cane going, and it was just like, it's like, hey, this is, this is incredible. And I remember Kendall Graveman when we got him. He was on Houston. And he obviously they played the Braves in the World Series that year. And he was like, Chicago was the loudest stadium that we played in through that whole series, through that whole playoff race. And I was like, I'm glad you think that because I was saying the same thing. And that was it was the only stadium that I played other than you guys. So uh, I was like, I'm glad we're on the same page. But no, that was uh, that was incredible. 
You also mentioned Jose Abreu, too, and I don't want to gloss over him because your, your time did coincide together for a little bit. I know you were focusing on learning the outfield at the time, but as a fellow first baseman with Abreu, were there any words of wisdom he was giving you over the time, anything you really learned from him? I loved, yeah, I, I, Jose Abreu took Vonnie and I under his wing, and we were extremely grateful for that. I mean, he was, he was uh, you know, obviously there was a, you know, a language barrier to an extent, but the one thing that there was no barrier was his was his work ethic. I mean, that dude, it was incredible what he was doing on a daily basis to get ready for a baseball game, no matter if it was a one o'clock game, a seven o'clock, it did not matter. I mean, he was, he truly was the first one there and the last one to leave, and it was it was pretty incredible to watch because you know you see guys that have won on one MVPs, and all you want to do is hey what. What are these guys? How, how do they work? You know, what do they do? And that was one of the things when I got in the club. I saw in spring training, and yeah, you know, I didn't know if it was just spring training or it, what it was. And I was like, you know, I can't wait to watch these guys up close to see how they go about their business. And that was one guy that there was no question marks with where his uh, work ethic was. And you know, playing with him and being around him was was incredible. And it, it just you, you brought your standards high because you wanted to match what he was doing because as a rookie and as anybody if you're not an MVP you're trying to live up to the MVP standards and so to see him day in and day out going about his business was was pretty incredible I hate to be that guy but um you know we're talking about you know good good memories good times spoiler alert he doesn't hate being that guy but go ahead <laughs> thanks yeah, I appreciate it <laughs> but no uh the last couple of years obviously have not gone the way that the White Sox or the fans of course wanted them to go as you alluded to so I guess two-part question. I'll ask one part and then let you respond first. But kind of where is your mindset and the team's mindset now going into this coming season, uh, especially considering, you know, a new, new hitting coach, for example? Is there anything you guys are working on or you're working on in particular to get ready? Yeah, I'm working on a lot. I, I was very displeased with my season last year. Um, I was frustrated with how it went. I was not proud of my performance by any standards. And... Um, so I worked on a lot. I've I've tried to change everything that I think needs to be changed, which unfortunately was a lot from last year. So I've talked to Marcus a bunch, um, talked to him a bunch. We've, we've done a lot together. We've video back and forth, and he's great. I really like what he's bringing to the table. But um, a lot of it was just you know looking in the mirror, looking at other, looking at video, watching video, watching other people around the league. What do these guys do that I don't do? What are these guys? What are these moves that they're making that I'm not making? You know, what do the numbers say? You know, my chase rated, what are in these different counts? So I, I really broke it down because um, I was really frustrated. So for me personally, I'm just excited to get back on the field with a fresh slate. You know, obviously last year is last year. You know, as a team, we were terrible. I was terrible. So it's everybody's ready to get. I, I think that's kind of the the memo of, of everybody. You know, it's like, let's get back on the field. You know, let's get back on the field with this OO record. Um, with a zero batting average, with no bats under our belts, no wins and losses under our belts, and, and let's get after it. You know, this is the first time that I've been to spring training where we're not projected to win the World Series or go to the World Series or win the AL Central. And so I'm interested to see what that's like. I, I think I know how I want it to be like. I know I, I, the fuel I want it to be. I know we've been run through the media a little bit over the you know past six months and even in the last year. You know, we were the talk of a baseball world and it wasn't positive talk. And so for me, you know, I think there's only one way to respond and I'm excited to get to work. I'm excited to be around these guys because I think that everybody's gone through it a little bit. Everybody's been hit a little bit. So, you know, I think the only way to bounce back is rally as a team and 
And instead of saying, you know, we're expected to win the World Series, we're expected to do this, well, we're expected to do nothing this year. So, you know, we can also play that play that card too. So that, that could be a fun card to play and, you know, chip back at a little bit. You kind of alluded to it just now, but I'm also curious about the amount that you as a player read or hear about or see the things that people are saying, you know, whether it's people like us on a podcast or whether it's like, you know, more esteemed writers, like, do you, I'm not asking people that it gets you, but I know you kind of can't as a player, yeah. but do you, do you see it? Do you, does that kind of stuff make it to you? I think nowadays it's impossible. Um, you know, I try to block it out as much as I can during the season. You know, I'm never on Twitter during the season because I think it's just a toxic place overall, but yeah, I just, it's, it's a tough place to be. And obviously we're held to high standards. So obviously, you know, we know when we're struggling and we know when we're doing well. So we don't need tweets at us. Let us know what, what, you know, thoughts are on that one, but it's tough to completely block everything out. I do have sources that if I want to keep tabs on things going on, like I will not go lie. I read some of your stuff. I see what's going on in the off season from you guys and, and from other writers that I think are not biased and kind of just shoot it straight. But we see the good and the bad. You know, I can I can go on Twitter right now. And I can find somebody who thinks I'm the best player ever. And I can find somebody who thinks I should be, you know, playing JD baseball. So, you know, when I can find that whenever I want. And, you know, I think every athlete is, you know, it's the thing I go back to is you look at Aaron Judge has the best season almost in history of baseball and gets booed by his fans in the playoffs. And it's like, look, it doesn't have the kind of season you're having there. You know, it's, it's, it's how it is. So um, you can never ride the highs too high and the lows too low. So I just try to stay away from that and, and control what I can control. And yeah, I get it. And I mean, we try, but we're all guilty of it. The fan reaction at times. It is hard. So I totally get from your perspective where it's like, like I said before, 100%, I fall into it every fall in the football season. So it's like, <laughs> I, I completely fall to, it. I'm yelling at guys on my TV every weekend. So it's like, and I'm in the same spot. They are just for 162 games in the spring. So I, I completely understand it. Um, <laughs> which is why it's funny to me. Cause it's like, Hey, I'm yelling at my guy on fantasy football for getting hurt in the first quarter. And I know that I know as a player, the last thing he wanted to do today was get hurt. So it's like, you know, we all, we all fall into it. Um, so it's, it's, it's all part of it. I do want to ask about Marcus Timms. Um, Cause it's a new person coming in. It's a new philosophy. I'm curious what he sort of preached to you or to the team or things you've heard from him that you really enjoy or that kind of set him apart from what maybe you've heard in the past with your time um, in the major league so far? From my talk so far, what I've really enjoyed is one, he's, he keeps it simple, which I think in a, at this level, you got to keep it simple. The more you break it down, the more you fall into mechanics and, and changing things up the whole season. It's, it's kind of a never ending maze. And I, I think I fell into that a little bit last year, just trying to tinker and change. And, and you never feel by the end of the season, you look back and you're like, man, I, this isn't, I don't even know how I'm swinging the bat right now. I'm thinking of 15 things. I'm changing everything up. And so I really like Marcus's thoughts on that. And, you know, just his, his overall idea of we're going to be prepared every night, no matter where our swing is, no matter anything, we're going to be prepared. We're going to be prepared on the other team. We're going to be prepared on how we're going to go up against these guys. And I like that. I like that. It's kind of, you know, we're going to have a, you know, a team identity of how we're going to attack that team on a nightly basis. And that's what he harps on. That's his thing. So it's like every night, you know, we can be out talented, we can be all this, but we will not be out prepared. And I think that's an incredible motto as an offense, as a as a, as a hitting coach. And so, yeah, I'm excited to work with him. And, and he's been with some pretty good hitters, being with the Yankees and, and Angels. So um, he's seen some some pretty good hitters up close and personal. So 
I'm, I'm excited to kind of pick his brain on that stuff and, and just see what he's seen with all the hitters he's worked with and um, what works and what doesn't work. And you, you talk about his working with him and kind of breaking things down. And you also mentioned, too, just how difficult it is to be a major league hitter. And especially when you're struggling trying to avoid that pitfall of just being in a rabbit hole of here's everything I need to tinker with. Here's everything I need to change. And you started this candidly by saying, hey, there was a lot I wanted to change. Yeah. How do you attack that perspective of here's how I'm going to change it and here's the things I need to prioritize versus, you know, here are things I think I need to change, but they're not nearly as important as these other things. Like, how, how does that breakdown kind of happen for you? Yeah, to me, my biggest goal was was going to the offseason and coming to spring training with a swing that I knew worked and that I was going to stick with. And I wanted to get rid of all the tinkering. I wanted to go so that when I went into the game, it was just straight me versus the pitcher. It wasn't me versus my back shoulder versus the breaking ball versus the pitcher. Like it was me versus the pitcher. I had a swing that worked. I felt good. Uh, I felt confident. And because that's what it, that's what it came down to. You know, my rookie year when I felt like I was at my best. You know, I had I had spurts in twenty two. My second half in twenty two, I felt really good as well. And it was just. It was cleaning everything up, going out with a swing with confidence and making a U versus the pitcher. You know, it's it's a hard enough game. And so yeah, this offseason I started hitting earlier than usual and, and just continuing to grind things out and, and you know, try different things early. And then when things started to click, I knew they're clicking for a reason and just kind of feed off the swings that were going well and, and things that felt right and things that felt new. Um, and then using the numbers, you know, do the numbers support what I'm feeling? And that was the biggest thing. You know, I've talked to Vonnie, I've talked to Berger, I've talked to a bunch of guys, you know, I've picked their brains a little bit, picked their brains on, you know, what their movements are, what their swing thoughts. And some of them work, some of them don't work, which is the great thing about hitting, you know, not everybody hits the same way. Berger hits a completely different way than Vonnie, who hits a completely different way than Luis Robert, who, and they're all great players. Um, so it's, it's been nice to, to do that. And, uh, I feel like I'm in a really good spot right now. And, you know, obviously I'm, I'm heading out on Saturday, so we're, we're right around the corner now. And you mentioned a big, I guess, topic amongst baseball on social media in the game in general too. And that's the idea of what, how I feel about a certain thing and kind of what the numbers say of it. How do you kind of balance the two of them in whether it's game preparation or it's making swing changes? Cause I think for the pitchers, there there's a ton that goes into it, and maybe it's a little bit more advanced, and it's making it harder on you guys as hitters. How do you incorporate that part of your game as in relation to how things feel as well? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I do is I go by feel first. I think if you know numbers can say whatever they want, but if you don't feel right, if it doesn't feel comfortable, it's not going to work. And you you have to feel strong. You have to feel in control. And then as soon as I start to do that and change some things up with the feel, with the way the body moves, first thing I do is go to the numbers. Like, okay, after trying all these different moves, I, I've found the one that feels most most comfortable. And, you know, we can feel the way the ball comes off the bat or the way, I mean, we got a good enough feel to be like, okay, that's that's a different, that's going to be a different number than what I'm used to. And, um, and then you go to the numbers and you say, look, like, I feel really good. These moves are what works for me now. I'm going to incorporate this. Let's go and see, you know, what the numbers look like. Um, and I think that's the way numbers are supposed to work. 
you know, I, I think it's tough to work backwards and be like, because you kind of make stuff up in your head like, well, I did hold my bat this way today and the number says that it was higher. So, um, but I think you got to feel it. I think you got to feel comfortable. You got to feel powerful. Um, and then you go to the numbers and say, look, like this is this is supporting the, the things that I'm out of picking. Now that we've gotten the softball questions out of the way, now that we've gotten the easy <laughs> stuff out, you and former Southsider Danny Mendick played in a barstool golf tournament last year. You guys ended up winning the whole thing. My question to you here is, are you and Danny planning to defend your four-play championship? Oh, man. Honestly, we haven't. And it's a little disappointing. I don't even think we've gotten it, it, the invite from Barstool back, which is surprising because we absolutely dominated that tournament. We had a blast there. <laughs> but it was, we had a blast. We, Danny and I were firing all, all cylinders. We were actually playing with Lance Lynn and his agent. And uh, so they got to see it up close, which was even better. Just more fuel just to be poking Lance the whole time and try to get the big bear fired up. So that was that that whole day was was a blast. But yeah, Danny and I, we were firing all cylinders that day. We had an absolute blast. I think you just got to go with we were too good and they don't want us back. They got to give someone else a chance. Just go with that one. And they're not they're not going to pay us again. Exactly. Before we let you go, we have one last segment. We've been doing this with our guests now. We're calling it nine innings. It's nine rapid fire questions. I don't want you to think too much about it. Just quick answers. First thing that comes to your mind for each of these. You ready? I think so. If you were given an opportunity to fly to space, would you do it? No. Scale of one to 10, how good are you at wiffle ball? Seven. What movie do you enjoy quoting the most? Top Gun. If you could play a hole in golf with only one club, which club would you choose? Seven iron. Buffalo wings, drums or flats? Drums. Least favorite pitcher you faced? Otani. Most unique piece of memorabilia you ever signed? Oh, uh, uh, bed sheets. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Balt's a Baltimore guy. What's the most random food you've put Old Bay seasoning on? Man, just about everything. Uh, I'll say eggs. And last question, what is this year's walk-up song going to be? Oof, I've been battling with that. Uh, I, I can't give you an answer yet. Um... Yeah, I don't know yet. I, I, it might go back to 22's walk up or something new, so we'll see. Bain if there's going to be a saxophone in it or not this year, so we'll see. <laughs> Just because you brought up Top Gun, between you and Jake Berger, who's Goose and who's Maverick? Oh, he's definitely Goose. <laughs> <laughs> Follow-up question, if we ask Jake Berger that question, does he agree that he's Goose? Yeah, he'll agree. Oh, he's, got, he's got the mustache too. So, he, <laughs> I mean, he's got the he's already got half the look. He's got the aviators and the mustache, so he's he's already halfway there. That's that sounds about Jake. I'm almost positive we <laughs> would embrace that. So, all right, Gavin, we appreciate your time, man. A lot of great info here, man. This is a blast. Really excited to see what you can do in the upcoming season. You know, it's always kind of cool seeing a guy in the box who makes a baseball bat look like a toothpick, which you do very well. So hopefully we're seeing a lot of bombs. We're seeing a lot of good baseball on the south side of Chicago. And um, I really like the mentality you guys have about the idea that nobody thinks you guys are going to do anything. So, uh, you know, in the words of Major League, we got to win the whole fucking thing. That's right. That's right. It's the only way to do it. All right, Gavin. It's been great having you on, buddy. We're rooting for you this season. Uh, have fun at spring training if that's possible. And uh, we'll, we'll be looking forward to a lot of home runs this season. Awesome, guys. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. 
Well, guys, that was our interview with Gavin Sheets. Gavin's definitely not a guy who takes himself uh, too seriously. Plus, uh, he's a fellow Jake Berger guy. But, you know, all jokes aside, I really, really like the insight that he gave us. You know, him breaking down, you know, his approach in the box against pitchers and uh, different stuff like that. I, I always really enjoy hearing, like, the mentality that kind of goes into that. And um, hearing him talk so glowingly about the south side of Chicago, regardless of how good or bad we are, it's just something that's always just so cool to hear. And having a current player on, too, you get to ask different questions and, and get a different viewpoint from what you typically would. Like getting to ask him about South Side Chicago, like you're saying, Duke, or that playoff atmosphere, it feels different when it's a current guy who's there and it's not too far removed from it. And from the resident nerd side of things, I know Nick and I, you both have, or we both have asked a version of the analytics type question. Where does this build in for you with both Nestrini and now Sheets? And it's very interesting to me to see how a pitcher answers that question and how a hitter answers the question. Because a lot of times, pitchers will start with, what does the numbers say? I'll find a way to get comfortable with that. Hitters, it's like, no, if I don't feel comfortable, this this is my swing. This this has to be the thing that feels the most comfortable. And while they both incorporate it different ways, it's very interesting to me to see how hitters versus pitchers are able to react to analytics and the mental side of the game combined. I thought it was really, really great insight, like you mentioned, Duke. Very, very awesome interview. Yeah, that was a big difference between um, Sheets and Nestorini, for sure. One similarity between Sheets, Nestorini, and even Fulmer is, and again, we talked about this with with the players, but it's like, no, they're just cool guys, you know? Like, just hearing them talk about about their lives and their journeys one another. Like, if I, you know, met one of them, like, on the street and talked to them for a few minutes, like, I wouldn't think they were a major league baseball player. Like, it's cool how down-to-earth they all are, and... Only other thing I want to add is kind of going along with the South Side comments that she's making. It's really validating as a fan, a fan who, you know, like a lot of people, I'm sure, has been both to playoff games from that Astro series and also just other playoff games for other teams, like whether it's baseball or other sports. Something really does feel different about the White Sox atmosphere. And I know we're fans and we're biased and whatever. But it's cool to hear Sheets and, you know, Kendall Graveman, he was saying too, it's cool to hear that from players, to know that we're not just making it up in our head. There really is a different energy, and we all desperately want to get back to that. Yeah, and, you know, not to – and this isn't, like, me giving any sort of credit towards, like, ownership or management in this sense, but, like, us being the fan base that we are, we attract so many, like, great personalities to the south side of Chicago who, like, genuinely either we embrace or they full-on embrace – I mean, you look at, you know, just the recent signing that we had last year with Joe Kelly. Obviously, it didn't work out the way we wanted it to, but that's not that was a that was a personality that was 100 percent embraced. You know what I mean? You know, the Lance Lynn's of the world, you know, even even going up to the the, the top tier with like an A.J. Brzezinski, like those are the types of personalities we bring in who show their emotions every single day. And it gets appreciated by the fan base and uh, the players appreciate it right back. Um, I also do appreciate that you guys always ask the nerd questions. Although if uh, my browser history would ever be publicly released, there would be a disgusting amount of tabs that I've opened of baseball savant on a week to week basis. So I just want that to be known as well. Laz, you can back me up on that because when I came to the site, I was a baseball savant guy. I have never in my life heard someone say, I'm actually a nerd too. Like usually people are trying to, avoid being called a nerd you know, i have never heard someone say 
No, actually, I'm also a nerd. So you know, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get in on the fun a little bit. You know, I feel like I'm catching some strays. You know, like Duke's the meatball host. I, I, I can assure you, I love baseball savant. Honestly, it it gets a bit disgusting sometimes. I mean, I'm the guy who will wake up at like you know three in the morning. And I can't go back to sleep until I go to a baseball reference and see how many home runs Frank Thomas hit in 94. You know what I mean? Like it, different stuff like that will like, just keep me just wear different. I'm not a nerd though, actually. No, so all, I, all I I've learned is that it's cool to be a nerd. Apparently that's great. Yeah. I've been you waiting 26 years. Yeah. Times are, <laughs> times are changing. I love this. Not a nerd. Um, just want to bring that up one more time. I am not a nerd. No, you're you, you know, you're a nerd. Congrats. All right. I'm quitting this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that's all we have this week for the Sox on 35th podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else to get your podcast. Also, be sure to check out the website, SoxOn35th.com, as well as following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at SoxOn35th to stay up to date with your Chicago White Sox. This has been Duke Coughlin, joined as always by Jordan Lazowski and Nick Gower. We'll be back next week as we cover more White Sox baseball as we head to spring training. Bring your swim trunks, baby. Thank you and go Sox. Go Sox. Go Sox.